welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. There are things that you prepare for in life, and then there are things that you try to prepare for in life, and then there are things that you cannot be prepared for in life. Having a baby is one of those things. Just ask me. We have two kids, both born. They, the, we, when we found out we were pregnant with Isabella, we thought we need to get prepared. We need to do some research. We need to do some courses. We're going to do some study. And so we signed up for a course at the hospital to, on giving birth and pregnancy and all that sort of fun stuff. And I think it was a four-week maybe course. Did I miss a couple? Probably six weeks. I missed a few <laughs> uh, course. But just to get ready for this moment when this baby would come into the world. And so we're studying hard, watching drawings and listening to what I could only describe as a hippie midwife talking about placentas and birthing processes and things to watch out for and things to be aware of. And I thought I was ready. I thought, man, I've put in the time. I've prepared myself so well for this. I'm going to nail it. Not that it's all about me in that situation, but, but you know, I played a very important role in the pregnancy and the birth, pretty much the whole thing. But it got to that point where the uh, stuff started to get ready to happen, and uh, we had to go to the hospital, and uh, we get to the point where baby's coming, and all of my learning, my degree in, in childbirth, my little certificate for attending the classes, all of that went out the window. And I realized that I was not prepared for what was happening. And I thought there is no way I could have really been prepared for what is happening. And I don't remember that moment very much. All I remember is having a baby at the end of it. It was like 48 hours that is just blank. So much fun. And still did pretty good too. <laughs> but we were there and I'm like, man, I thought we were ready for this. And then having a child was just the beginning. Then you have to raise them. And I'm like, oh, this, yep, yep, read the books, do the courses. Huh. And we get the kid home. And the first, you know, couple of days is like hell. Where the baby's just crying all the time. And like, why are you crying? Just tell us. <laughs> why can't you speak? Just tell us what's happening. It'll be so much easier. The baby's crying, and then we kind of we kind of adapt, we kind of learn how to 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 manage this little thing that just screams all the time and wants to drink all the time. And we, we kind of get to that point where we okay, we've got this, we've got it. We've got it. We've mastered it. 
we are the best parents. And then she starts to move. She starts to be able to roll over and crawl. And at that point in time, she starts crawling. We have to change the game again. We've got to move stuff in the house. We can't have little things on the tables. We can't have things that, that are glass things that she could pick up and break. And the game just changes. And all the preparation, we realize, hang on a second, wasn't really prepared as I thought I was. And then it changes again because she starts to walk. And then she starts to talk. And she hasn't stopped. For seven years. She hasn't even taken a breath. But the game just kept changing in every stage. You think, hang on, we've got it. We've mastered it. Yes, we're doing well. And then it all just changes. And you think, man, I thought we were prepared for this. But there is absolutely nothing that can prepare you for birth. Here is something else that you can do no preparation for. You can't be prepared for. It's taking a toddler to the shopping center. It's at that point in time when you're trying to drag a kid through the shopping center as they are kicking and screaming, wanting a Freddo frog, and the whole world is just melting down because they're not getting a Freddo frog, that you realize all of that, all of that, all of that, that planning, all of that preparing was for nothing. Because there's nothing that can prepare you for this. I think now, and I, I want to write to the, to the hospital and just maybe give them some advice from my, my perspective, that perhaps in that birthing uh, course, they could add a couple of units, like taking the child to the shopping center. You need some instruction on that. You can't leave that one out. You can't just leave people to themselves in that. You need to know about this stuff. And that course, I think, should be titled Negotiating with a Four-Year-Old Terrorist. Because that's what it gets like. It's like you've got to negotiate with someone that doesn't want to do what you're wanting them to do and is willing to kick and scream to get what they want. And at that point in time when you're trying to walk through the shopping center, your, your negotiation skills, your hostage negotiation skills have to kick in and you, and you go to all sorts of different things like bribery, you know, I'll, if you don't move, come on, if you move, if you move, I will, I'll buy you that Freddo. I'll buy you a whole box of Freddos. Come on, let's move. Let's just move. Meltdown. You comes to the threats. If you don't move, you watch out and see what's going to happen. And then it comes to, you know, the, the, the manipulation. Oh, I feel bad for this. But trying to get them to do whatever you can, like using whatever you can, pulling out a doll and, hey, let's walk this way. And it still doesn't work. And then you're just like, all right, I'm leaving. That's it, I'm leaving. You're staying here. I am leaving. And you know who's bluffing. They don't care. They're just screaming and, leave me. You just can't prepare for that sort of stuff. And I, 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 I you know... I think in life, there are things that we can prepare for, and then there are things that we, we can kind of prepare for, and there are things that we get into when we experience, and we're just like, I couldn't have really prepared for this. I had no idea that this is what life was going to be like. You know, you've had those days where, where things just don't work out, where you, you spill your coffee, you kick your toe on the couch, you know, those days. 
those days when you, you go to the shopping center and uh, the car parks are full and so you have to park three rows away. <laughs> How inconvenient. You know those days, those days when uh, they, they actually burn your coffee and you pay $5 for that. Those days, you know those days. We all have those days. But have you ever had one of those days? I mean, one of those days where something happens in your world that completely rocks you. It's not just an inconvenience. It's something that has the, the potential to change your life from that moment on where you get the phone call from the doctor and they tell you that, that the news isn't good. When the boss asks you to come into the office and lets you know that there is no longer a job for you in this company. When your spouse says, hey, we, we really need a talk and that talk ends up in separation. Those days. Those days that you find yourself in and, and you're like, wow, all of the preparation and all of the things that, that I, I, I thought I knew just went out the window because I, I, I got nothing. Those days when the, the climate of your life looks like it's about to change forever. Those days where you're just like, what is happening here? How am I ever going to move? How am I ever going to get through this? You know those days? And some of that is relative to, to each of us where uh, a different circumstance, a different situation has taken place and it's, it's really affected us and it's affected us more than it, it affected someone else when they went through the same thing. But you know what it's like to have those days. I want to read from a passage of scripture today about someone who had one of those days and their response to it. How they, even in being unprepared and unexpecting that situation for what was to take place, how they responded and how they moved through that. Because I think every one of us, if we haven't already experienced things that rock our worlds at one point in time, and I'm not the prophet of doom here in saying that this is going to happen, but in life, things happen. Things happen as we journey through life. And sometimes it catches us off guard. Sometimes we got no understanding of why or what is happening. And so we need to learn how to, in those moments, on those days, draw strength from God. We're reading from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'll read from the ESV, the Holy Bible. It's not really, but the whole Bible is holy. Verse 1, it says, When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burnt it with fire, and they had taken, the woman, taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came back to the city, they found it burnt with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. 
Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive. Ahinam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were, in, were bitter in their soul. Let's stop there. This is one of those times when, when David, a man of God, a man who, was, who the Bible says was after God's heart, who, who desired God's heart so much, he comes into a situation, an experience that was completely unexpected. He's been on the run. He's, been, he's spent most of his life running away from, from Saul, who's been trying to kill him. He was rejected at first by his, fa- his family, his dad. You remember the call of David, uh, the anointing of David. He wasn't even part of the party that was presented uh, to, to be anointed. It seemed that he'd been rejected for most of his life. It seems that he had uh, been on the run for this last period of his life. And, uh, and what's, what, what kind of became a bit of uh, respite for him in the previous chapters, he'd sought uh, refuge with the Philistines, with the, with the enemy party. He'd, made, he'd become friends with them so that he could uh, get away from the Israelite army that was trying to chase him and, and to kill him. And he had some sort of refuge. They had given him this place called Ziklag, which became their, their home. It was a respite for him from this, this journey on the run where he was being hunted for being him. Where he was being hunted because Saul was insecure, because Saul was jealous for him. And David has this place finally for refuge, finally to have space to just be and to just, just get on with their lives with his men. And they come back to this place and they find out that the enemy army, an enemy army has come in and just completely destroyed it. Wiped the whole place out. Taken their wives, taken their children. And they walk back to this place and they find themselves in, as, as it says there, in, in a burnt down, destroyed city. Their home has been wiped out. One of those days. And we look at the response of, of, of the men that, that, that come back, and we're talking about battle-hardened men. We're talking about warriors. People who, who were in for a fight and up for a fight. And we read that they come back to this scene where everything has been destroyed, where everything has been taken. And it says that they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Battle-hardened men, weeping until they had no more, we- no more strength to weep. I mentioned last week we can kind of sanitize stuff with the scripture and we read it from like a storybook kind of uh, understanding. But this scene was, was devastating. You don't, you, I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you've cried to the point where you cannot cry anymore. Where you actually feel numb where your head starts to get cloudy, where you just don't have energy to let the tears come out anymore. That's where they're at. These strong warriors are in a place of of total devastation. That was their ziklag. That was their their home. It's been taken from there. It's, It's been destroyed. And they're in pain. I'll tell you why I feel this is important. 
particularly as Pentecostal charismatic believers. We have good framework and theology for breakthrough, good framework and theology for healing, good framework and theology for God moving in certain situations. But I feel at times we lack the framework and theology for suffering and how to suffer and how to suffer well. You look at a lot of the New Testament writings and you see that Paul uh, writes to the church who are, who are being oppressed, who have been driven out of homes, who have been, uh, their, their lives are about to be taken, some of them, some of them would, would be taken, some were. And not a lot of his encouragement is to pray for breakthrough. Not that we shouldn't, not that we shouldn't believe that God can do something in our situation. But a lot of his encouragement is to teach them to, to suffer well. To navigate life in this broken, messed up world and do it in a way that honors God, that shows the light of God and helps others to see that, that even persecution cannot put out the flame that burns within us. We sing a song, you know, you move the mountains and I believe you can do it again. And part of that song, I didn't know that, that we were going to sing that today. You know, I'm walking around these walls, and I thought that by now they would have fallen. You ever been there? You, got, you, got, you know, God's put something in your heart. You're believing for it. You're believing that it's going to take place. But in the meantime, your response, how you navigate that, how you journey through that, how you suffer, in that space, it's actually important. It's almost in those places of pressing and crushing that, that God can do some of his greatest transformational work in us to bring the life of Christ out of us. And as much as we want to get out of it, sometimes we need to just live in it for a bit. Not to just pray away out of it, but to pray God strengthened me in it. Listening to the, the church being persecuted in China and some of the testimonies that are coming from China and how the church is asking for people to pray and our Western theology, our Western understanding would be pray that the persecution stops. And that yet the Chinese house churches and the Chinese house church leaders are praying, don't just pray that, don't pray the persecution stops. Pray that we will be strengthened in it. Pray that, that, that we will be witnesses to Christ in it regardless of what is happening to us. Because true freedom is not, not about what's happening around us or happening to us, it's what happens in us. And so you can be in the middle of devastation, in the middle of destruction, and still have freedom within you. Paul writes letters to the church about his persecution and about how he is in chains. And, and, he, and he asks them to, 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 to pray that he would have open doors to minister the gospel in chains. That he could stay in that situation and still be faithful to the call of God on his life. And look around this room. You know, there are people in this room that have suffered really incredible things. Some really painful things. Things that, that uh, you know, uh, were not God's heart in the, in the beginning. God, not God's heart in, in his creation to see some of the stuff that we've had to go through. But we can't 
pray away grief. Grief at times we just need to process. We have to be able to walk through stages of grieving, stages of mourning, stages of working through that, that, that darkness that feels like it's filling us, stages of working through the heaviness and the, the confusion and the questions and the whys. And to not just pray that away, but to, to walk through. And if I could say to us as a family, it's in those moments, it's in those times when um, some of our Christian cliche stuff just doesn't work. Hey, bro, I'll pray for you. You just got to have more faith. I'm not sure at times if we understand what we say when we say that. You haven't seen the healing come yet? You just got to have more faith. Do you know how much faith it takes to hold on to, to cling to Jesus when the healing hasn't come yet? Do you know how much faith it it takes to to say that my body is breaking down, but I'm holding on to God. He is my hope. He is my refuge. He is my strong tower. And although my flesh fails me, He is the portion. He is my portion from now and forevermore. Do you know how much faith that takes? You just got to believe harder. Sometimes we don't help each other with what we say when we say these things. Sometimes what we actually need is what we see in the book of Job, where Job's friends come and they sit with him, and they cry with him, and they weep with him, and David's men in this, in this account, they weep together. Sometimes you just need someone to sit there and say, I don't really understand what you're going through, and I have no words to, to, that I could give. I know you don't need advice, you just need me to sit and to be quiet. And to hold your hand and to cry with you and to make you a coffee. And we can journey in this together. We can sit together and and, and experience the brokenness of our humanity together. Faith is not at odds with the human experience. Because you are suffering does not mean you do not have faith. Because you are suffering, because you you are sick, because there are things happening in your world does not mean that you don't have faith. In fact, it's usually in those moments that your faith is crystallized. It's in those moments when your faith is under fire that it is purified and refined to the point where you can stand and say, I have nothing else but Jesus. We can confess it, we can sing it, we can, we can dance around and say it, but until that is all you have and until that is tested, that Jesus is all I've got in this, that I'm holding on to that. Now, that doesn't mean we don't believe for breakthrough. It doesn't mean we don't believe for healing. It doesn't mean we don't believe for those things. But we have to learn how to suffer well and to walk through the fire when it rages around us. David's men wept. And then then what happens then? It says, uh, and then David became distressed because they wanted to stone him. Here is another thing that that happens when we experience pain. We want someone else to take responsibility for it. We want someone else to take the blame for it. We want them to to feel the pain of it. Especially if they're part of the the reason that we're in that situation. If you backtrack, you can see that you could put it back to David that, that, that they were in this situation. And so they get upset with him and they start to blame him and they want to stone him. All of a sudden, their pain turns them outward, to, uh, turns them against 
David, who, who, who loved them, who looked after them, who cared for them when no one else did, who, who, who gave them a hope, who, who, who helped them in their situations. And all of a sudden, they're like, we want to kill him. Because someone has to be responsible for this. Do you know that blaming someone else doesn't help your healing process? Pointing the finger at someone else doesn't help your healing process. One of my favorite examples of this is if I was to walk across the road and, and a drunk driver came hooning down the street and hit me. And he was at fault. It was totally his, his responsibility. He should not have been driving. He should not have been drinking. And he hits me and, and, and I break my leg and I end up in hospital. He is, account, he is held accountable by the law. He, he goes to jail, whatever it is. He takes responsibility for it even. We know then that it's his fault. He's to blame. I'm still in hospital. I still have a broken leg. Him taking responsibility doesn't heal my injury. Me making him know that he's responsible doesn't heal my injury. And this is part of the messed up stuff that we go through in life, is that stuff can happen to us that is not our fault that someone else has done to us, and they should not have done to us, but we are left to walk out healing in that area. And as much as I say it's his fault, my leg's still broken. He can't take the broken leg. And so they, they're distressed, and they say, David, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. And I feel like this is one of the things that liberates us to heal is when we, we can release someone else of being responsible for our healing. Even if they were responsible for the wounds. Even if they were responsible for the hurt. They take ownership, they apologize, they repent. My leg's still broken. I'm the one that has to walk that out. Some of us are carrying wounds. Some of us are carrying things that have happened to us. And it shouldn't happen wasn't your fault you didn't ask for it but you got to walk it out you got to walk out the healing i talk to teenagers about stuff that goes down in their worlds and it's like man that sucks i can't believe you've gone through that i can't you know sometimes working with some of the ultra one students and hearing some of the stories of stuff that goes down in their world and where they've come from i'm like man i, I can't believe you've been through that and now you got the wounds and you got to walk it out and part of your life from here is to get healing in that area. Because here's the thing, if you don't get healing in that area, you're going to carry that wound. And that wound can become infected. And then bitterness, hatred, or it continues to, to, to happen again. Sometimes we just got to walk through the process of healing, of grieving. And it says David, they, they, they got upset at David and that distressed David as well. And he had two wives that had been taken captive. Two wives, that would have been tough too. One's enough. It's true, you said that. <laughs> and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke about stoning him. And then there's this, this incredible thing that takes place. It says, but David 
strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Another translation would say David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Although we can't prepare for some things that we face, when we get to those moments, this is something that is crucial. That we have the ability to strengthen ourselves in God, to encourage ourselves in God, to be able to to, to see Jesus in the midst of all the suffering, to be able to be encouraged and strengthened in the midst of all the suffering. And I, I see the pattern there that, that, that it doesn't say David then strengthened the men or David encouraged his men. His first point of call was to strengthen himself, was to strengthen and encourage himself in God. Not just to, to, to put on a brave face, but to, to, to engage with God and to strengthen himself with God, to encourage himself in God. He encouraged himself in God. And it's not explicit in here how he did that, what the method was or what he, what he used. But if you look at David's life, you'll see a few different things, a few different areas, even in his writings in the Psalms, that, that give us insight into how he did this. Not just in this moment, but in, on, a regular, uh, on a regular basis. One thing was he had knowledge of how to access the presence of God. He was, you read what David says, um, he, he speaks of, of God in this imagery where God is my strong tower, where God is my refuge, where God is my hiding place. When trouble and calamity comes upon me, when things come around me, when my world feels like it's pressing me down, I have this space where I access the presence of God. And I know that everything around me, although it's chaotic, in this place, in my refuge, in my hiding place, there is peace. And the external is raging, but the internal starts to to quieten. David accessed the presence of God. We see that he was such a worshiper. He would worship and he would sing songs to God that would bring him into the presence, that would help him to connect with Jesus, that would help him to connect with, his heart, so that he could stand in the ruins and still say, my God is faithful. My God is true. Accessing the presence of God. Are you conscious? Are you aware that God is there? That God is with you? I mean, part of our, our, I guess, our understanding of counseling is to, to, to not try and fix Issues for people, but to help them become aware of God's presence in the midst. Where is Jesus in this? Can you see his hand in this? Can you see him at work in this? To become God conscious, to to step into his presence, to access his presence. We see David do this over and over and over again. And it's something that set him apart from his men is that in this situation where they were deeply distressed, they were talking about killing him, he was able to somehow access the presence of God, which, which brought him peace, which brought him to the place where he could then move on, to access God's presence. Another thing that, that we see David do throughout his Psalms is that he, 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 he takes captive the thoughts that come against him, the thoughts that come against the knowledge of God. He, he learns to take them captive. And we're instructed in the, the New Testament to take captive those thoughts. 
Those thoughts that come against, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. You know, you don't have to believe everything you think. Just because it pops into your head doesn't mean that it's true. And in fact, when we agree with those things that that come into our head, those thoughts that come into our head, when we agree with them, we give them permission to become personal truths to us, regardless if they're true at all. And you read the pattern of Psalms, you see that some of these Psalms, they start off with, with David just in this great distress, this pity. And he's like, God, where are you? I can't fathom this. I don't know how you've, you've let my enemies just take me over. He starts off in this place, but you see that he starts to then to, 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 to turn over those thoughts, to take those thoughts captive. And we have to be aware of this because some thoughts are intrusive. They come in when we don't even realize. And they come when we're not looking, when we're, we're, we're tired. I think that's a thought. And we have to learn how to take them captive and get rid of them. Thanks, Jake. We didn't even plan that. He just jumped in there. No, we did talk about that before. That would have been cool, but... But you see what I'm saying? Like, there, there are thoughts that are intrusive in our lives. They just come into our lives. That you don't even realize that, that, that they've come in. And all of a sudden, they become personal truths to us because we take them on. You don't have to believe everything you think. David, in this pattern, he will say, God, where are you? I can't see you. But you see that his progression is that's not true. Although it feels like it at this point in time, it's not true. And so then he goes, God, I know you're there. God, I know that you're with me. And because you are with me, and because you are there, I will praise you. And these, these psalms, these beautiful psalms that express the human experience of how I just can't see this, I don't know how this is going to happen, to then taking that, no, that's not true. What is true is that God is good and that you are faithful. And though my circumstances right now tell me something different, I'm not going to believe them. David had the ability to do that. We see it. The other thing that he, he did was he talked to himself. Now, I've started talking to myself. And I know that can be a sign of insanity. Especially when you start answering. But there's a psalm that, that David, he, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He instructs his soul. He leads his soul. He speaks to his soul. And he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul rejoices in him. And over and over again, you see Psalms where he is directing his thoughts, where he's directing his, he's speaking to himself. Have you got that Psalm there, Lockie? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He who forgives your iniquity and heals all your diseases. He, he redeems you from the life, your life from the pit, your, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He starts to speak to his soul and says, you bless the Lord. 
I know what's happening around me, but my soul, you are going to bless the Lord. I'm going to lead myself. I'm going to speak to myself. I'm going to talk myself into it. That I will bless the Lord. And look at how he does it. He reminds himself of who God is and what God has done. When you are in those moments of, 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 I don't know what's happening here, speak to yourself and remind yourself that God is sovereign, that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is loving, that God is merciful, that God is gracious, that God is your provider, that God is all you need. Start to speak to yourself. We see other psalmists do, do this. Uh, the Psalms, uh, Psalm 34, where it's like, why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so heavy within me? Yet my hope is in the Lord. Yet I will hope in the Lord. Can you see what's happening there? This is my experience, but I'm going to speak myself into that place of proclaiming who he is. Remind yourself of who he is and remind yourself of what he's done. Those things are our weapons. Those things are our, our testimonies become weapons that we fight the war with. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. If we can learn to do this, then we can be faithful in every situation. And when the wind comes, when the waves come, when you walk back and everything's burnt down, everything, there's, there's smoke there, the circumstances aren't changing, things aren't happening, you, in you, by God's grace, can stand strong, can be strengthened to face this life, to journey through what needs to be journeyed through, to receive healing where it needs to be healed. And he, he strengthened himself in the Lord. We see that in this story there is restoration. That later, uh, David asks of God, he inquires of God and says, should we pursue them? He says, yes, and you will have everything brought back to you. They pursue. Uh, some of the men are so, so tired that they can't make the journey. And yet everything is restored to them. Ziklag. Can you say that word? Ziklag. Ziklag. Say it with like a little bit of life, please. Ziklag. Ziklag. This was their Ziklag. This was their experience in Ziklag where there was devastation and then there was restoration. Looking at the, the meaning of the word Ziklag, I like to do studies on words and studies on particularly ge geographical names and, and different places that you see in the Bible. And, and the word Ziklag came from uh, the understanding of a blacksmith melting metal to forge it into a weapon. The place was named in that vein of metal that was melted so that it could be made into a weapon. Those moments, those experiences, those things that we go through where it feels like we are being melted, where it feels like we're being pressed and crushed, they actually become weapons for us to fight the good fight and to fight on, the on behalf of others to come alongside others who are in the same situation, who have been through the same things, 
and to use our testimony to help encourage. Sometimes just the, the testimony of our own pain, of what we suffered, of how we walked through that to stand by and to walk with and to fight for and to fight on behalf of. So will we suffer well? Will we learn to, know, to, to encourage ourselves, to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? When things feel like they're getting out of hand, when things are crazy, when you walk into that moment and it's just, I'm not sure what I'm going to do here, that you can take space and just access God's presence, take the thoughts captive and remind yourself of who He is and what He's done. Matt, can we... We finish with a little bit of space to worship and connect with God in our own ways. Let me pray and, and, and then Matt's going to lead us in a song. And if you would, stand, worship. Perhaps like right now, this is like relevant to you. Perhaps this is where you're at right now, like there's stuff that's happening. And it feels like everything's been taken away. It feels like everything's fallen apart. And you need just, just that little bit of space to connect with God and to give that to Him and allow Him to speak to you, allow Him to minister to you, give you strength, that today you would be strengthened in the Lord, today you'd be encouraged in the Lord. Or maybe, you know, you've been through stuff in the past and there's wounds there, there's, there's, there's things that need healing. Again, let me encourage you to just let loose, let go today. Engage with God, allow Him to bring healing to those things. And maybe, maybe life is rosy, maybe life is real good right now. You can still worship God. We don't worship out of need, we don't worship out of pain, we worship because He's worthy in every season of life. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.